Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome Welcome to the weekend edition of Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Saturday. Happy weekend to you and yours. We had a great week of shows. Uh, We started on Monday. Football, 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 NFL football. Dak Prescott wet the bed. The Cowboys got beat. Uh, They got big problems. I talked about it on Monday. Uh, The Dak Prescott pity party kicked off Sunday night. Shortly after it became obvious the Cowboys would struggle to score on the Buccaneers. Uh, In the nightcap of the NFL's opening Sunday, Prescott's Cowboys managed a single field goal in a 19-3 loss to Tampa Bay. Tom Brady versus America's team was supposed to be the Top Gun Maverick of the football weekend. Instead, it was a snooze fest, largely because Dak can't fly at Brady's altitude even for short stretches. Dallas's $40 million a year quarterback is worth half as much as Brady, but is paid twice as much as the seven-time Super Bowl champion. At age 45 and entering his 23rd season, Brady charged the Buccaneers $15 million this season for his services. Brady has always played for less money than he's worth because he's always prioritized winning above salary. Brady is self-aware. The 199th pick of the 2000 draft, Brady has never forgotten he needs to be surrounded by high talent level to win games. He left New England because Bill Belichick wouldn't buy him the talent he needed to excel. Tampa has and will. (laughs) Dak Prescott, on the other hand, he's going to regret forcing Jerry Jones to give him a $160 million contract a year ago. The big contract comes with big expectations and a lack of sympathy. Sunday night, when Dak jogged off the field after injuring his thumb, Cowboys fans booed their quarterback and a couple of people tossed their trash at the seventh year player. Prescott is no longer the Mississippi State underdog, the fourth round pick who unseated Tony Romo in 2016. Prescott is an overpaid, average quarterback who doesn't mask the deficiencies of his teammates or coaches. There's nothing special about Dak Prescott. He's a very poor man's Tom Brady who is being paid like he's Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen. No one in Dallas really cares that Mike McCarthy is a bad head coach or that Jerry Jones is a mediocre general manager or that Dallas' offensive line and receiving core are suspect. No one cares that Dallas offensive coordinator Kellen Moore is unproven and perhaps in over his head. Prescott is one of the 10 highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL. He's supposed to mask problems, not accentuate them. Last night, Prescott exaggerated Dallas's problems. The guy's inaccurate. He completed less than half of his passes. His arm strength isn't exceptional. He's not a dynamic runner. He's Tom Brady without Tom Brady's intangibles. Brady's number one intangible, 
self-awareness. Being married to a filthy rich supermodel, Giselle Bundchen, at least for now, makes it easier for Brady to compromise on his NFL contracts. I get that. But at some point, a quarterback like Prescott needed to figure out an extra five to 10 million a year wasn't going to be worth the raised expectations. Cowboys fans wouldn't be booing Prescott if he was the 15th highest paid QB rather than the eighth. Prescott isn't Lamar Jackson. I actually believe it would be easier to win a Super Bowl with Prescott than Jackson. Prescott is a pocket quarterback. Jackson is a dual threat improviser. Over the long haul, football rewards the pocket passer more than the scrambler. Having said that, Jackson's value to the Ravens far exceeds Prescott's value to Dallas. Jackson is an elite runner who can win games without elite receivers and an elite play caller or even an elite offensive line. Same can be said for Josh Allen. Josh Allen's got as many or more rushing touchdowns than even uh, Lamar Jackson. Dak's not one of those guys. He's just not. You don't pay someone that can't go out and win games all by themselves. You don't pay them $40 million a year. And those guys shouldn't want it if you can't win games. Tom Brady knows exactly who he is, and that's why he's never been overpaid one season in his career. Anyway, let me go back to Dak. But let me finish my point about Lamar Jackson. Because Lamar showed a big pair, and he's out there playing without a contract extension. He gave him the Friday deadline. Lamar Jackson deserves whatever. They're going to overpay Lamar Jackson, and he's going to have earned it already. He single-handedly carried Baltimore for four straight years. Dak doesn't carry Dallas. He makes the ride smooth when the Cowboys have the necessary pieces to roll. Dallas doesn't have the necessary pieces. Last night's thumb injury is the luckiest break Dak caught against Tampa. He's going to miss the next six to eight games. He has an excuse for a poor season. The Cowboys will fire Mike McCarthy at some point this season. Dak will start the 2023 season with his third head coach. It'll likely be Sean Payton. Jerry Jones will ask Payton to turn Prescott into Drew Brees. Payton will fail. Brees had elite accuracy. Dak doesn't going to be a long pity party for Dak. The excuse makers will blame McCarthy and Jason Garrett, who's Dak's original head coach. They're going to blame, they're going to play the race card very soon. They might have even done it today, who knows. But the race card will be played eventually for Dak Prescott. He won't ask for it, but the media will just jump in and say, ah, oh, it's racism. Cowboys should have surrounded him with this or that, and they would have if it was a white quarterback, if it was Tony Romo, if it was this, if it was that, if it was this. The only reason why they're booing, the Dallas fans are booing Dak Prescott is because he's black. Mm-mm. Greed and ego. That's what undermined Dak Prescott. His greed and ego and his agent's greed and ego. Tuesday, we moved on and talked a little rap music. P&B Rock, another rapper, murdered and killed. We got to quit ignoring this stuff. And so I talked about, you know, rap and Delano came on and talked a little bit about prodigal fathers. It was a great show on Tuesday. Some rapper, P&B Rock, 
Does that PNB stand for peanut butter and jelly? I, I don't know. Uh, PNB Rock, I think he's from Philadelphia originally. Uh, he got gunned down and murdered uh, in Los Angeles at Roscoe's Chicken and Waffle. Uh, I've actually been there uh, in, in LA. He gets gunned down, I think, with his girlfriend. Uh, he, he, he actually somewhat foreshadowed this in an interview. I, I, I think he did earlier just for, for people that aren't, because again, these rappers, they die so quick and die before they ever put out a record that anybody's heard of. Let's play a little of this interview so you'll know who Peanut Butter and Jelly Rock is. A mix of me, like telling her like where the park at, it's like somebody just came fast as shit and took the parking spot, like the same spot that we, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, dude, they must have been following me or something, bro. How the fuck this car get behind me this fast? Like, I ain't even look, I look back and that shit was there quick as shit. And then when I walked past, like, the car bombed out. Like, this shit tended to the max. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm getting all this heat coming from the car, though. Like, I'm feeling the energy coming from the car. I'm like, damn, what the fuck do that car? Like, you know, some other shit. Why well, ain't going to the store for two seconds? The same people coming from out the car, hopping the store, hyping shit. See some gang banging shit, like some set of my, I don't know what they say. This is some shit out loud. Set tripping. But it was like, son, that I'm not that I recognize the energy. You feel me? I'm like, what? You feel me? Like, he like started talking to me with some gangs and shit. Like, I'm like, bro, do you know me? Like, you know me from somewhere? He like, yeah, I know you is. Trying to get me to. Like get into some shit. So I'm like, man, I flagged him off and I just walked out the store because I already know like where this shit about to go. You feel me? You, you don't that make you nervous if like you with like your, your girl. Your no, that's boy. why I be trying to be cool because you don't want to be nervous and make it seem like something about that. You want to you well, want, you want them, them to be as calm too, as possible. You feel me? You want your girl and your kids to be like making it seem like everything is cool. Ain't nothing about to happen to us. You feel me? Like we super good. So I just be cool. I just kept it cordial. I'm like, come on, maybe out. I'm trying to think of a. Other than maybe being a soldier, what's a more dangerous profession than rap? Uh, these rappers get murdered consistently. We're not, no one bats an eye. Uh, they're made famous uh, by their murders. And it, 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 to me, it's so clear. And again, I used to be a huge rap music fan. I still, I'm friends with some rappers. Don't want to denigrate them all. But this is a culture of death, and that to me is, is why people like Hillary Clinton, Chelsea Clinton are so supportive, because anything that supports the death of black men in particular uh, and leads to negative outcomes for black men, they're gonna be uh, celebratory of it and embrace it, and this whole hip hop thing, it's a celebration of, of anti-family values and the death of black men, and, and here's another dead black rapper that will be celebrated. People act like, oh my God, I, I can remember when PNB went on tour with Michael Jackson and Prince. And ain't nobody heard of this dude. Uh, and he's been made famous by being a rapper, but I, it's just a, it's a death culture. No one's surprised by it. I, I don't understand why we don't speak out against it. Uh, no, nobody else has a profession like this where their young people are constantly killed. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to blame this guy for his own murder, but he, he walks around with all this jewelry and stuff on and flashing in everybody's face. And, and you just, it's stupid. And again, I used to wear a lot of jewelry or whatever, but I figured out it's just stupid. Why, be, why flash your wealth in front of others? I'm not blaming this dude for his murder, but, but 
This is what happens in rap. Your thoughts on peanut butter and jelly rock or whatever. P, what is the P? It's some street. It's two streets. The P and B yeah, stand two for streets, two streets in Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But I definitely understand why you're saying that because when my daughter came in the house and was like, Mom, P and B was uh, murdered. And I was looking at her like, who? I was thinking, is this like a joke? Because peanut butter and jelly, jelly was what came to mind for me first as well. But then she sung his song, and I was familiar with at least two of them. So then I started to look into the story because I'm familiar with his music. I just never knew his name. Um, and I do think us being so flashy and having all of this jewelry, I heard somebody say that, like, rich people that don't really have it are the ones that's loud and screaming. Real wealth is silent. And we can see this so many times when you won't even know that somebody like maybe white or of another race or nationality or ethnicity, they don't flash their money the way that we do. You don't see them taking pictures, holding stacks of money, holding guns. You know, this is a culture that we have promoted. And it bothers me because so many times we talk on this show and we catch heat. We're called coons or Uncle Toms because we point out the way the culture has declined. Yet we are seeing so many rappers, as you said, it's such a dangerous, dangerous profession, be murdered every year. So many. We don't see this in pop music. I don't see country music artists being slain simply, you know, oh, he was flashing his guitar and those cowboy boots he had on. Oh, my God. We don't see that in any other genre of music except for when it comes to hip hop. And we promote it. It's a it's a culture of death. Not only do we promote it, we uphold it. It doesn't seem like anybody was really willing to come forth and to say who did it. And another thing that bothers me with us, Jason, is we act like we have to post our every move. This was Roscoe's chicken and waffles. You never ate a piece of chicken or a waffle that you had to put this up and post your location. Like, why do we do this as people? I was uh, talking to Hadley and I was telling him that I went live a couple years ago and a man came because of my live. Now, thankfully for my my sake, he was nice and he was friendly and he was just like, hey, you know, let me buy you and your friend a drink. But what if he wasn't that I never went live again because of that? And I don't even consider myself a celebrity, but I realize that there are people out there that do. And the truth is, when you begin to live a certain way, you got to stop trying to be down with the hood. You got to stop trying to act like, oh, the hood is my friend. I can't walk away. I can't grow up. I can't do something different because the hood, as we see, will turn their back. You will be killed. It's time out. Kanye said something about like, Forget the culture because the culture is killing people and we're willing to die for what? What are we dying for? Because we want to stay down, because we want to stay cool, because we want to keep getting invited to the cookout. 
you are living a different way and it should be apparent to not just yourself, but those that you even keep company with. I don't like being around people that are constantly feeling like they have to post things or take pictures of things or act a certain way. They say you can't take the uh, ghetto out of the person, even though you take the person out of the ghetto. It's time for us to let the ghetto go and this hood mentality and behavior because we're dying behind it for no reason. You perfect segue. Uh, Kanye West is on a song with DJ Khaled and so is Eminem, a gospel song. I think it's called Use This Gospel. It's number one on the Billboard Hot Christian charts. Uh, I don't, Kanye has always dabbled in gospel music. Now Eminem is, is dabbling and DJ Khaled dabbling. Just want to talk specifically about Eminem. You buy this, is there any legitimacy to it? Or, or, is, or is this just, you know, all these rappers have remorse, they know they're promoting a culture of death, a satanic culture, and so maybe they think they can get some extra credit points by staying after school. Oh, let me put this gospel song down, and, and people can't call me wicked and evil. I, I think they use it as a disguise uh, to to beard and cover their true evil intent. I'm not buying Eminem as a gospel rapper. Uh, you know, I know in the song or the lyrics, Eminem says something about thank you for waiting for me. It might have taken me a long time to get here, but I'm here now or whatever. I think what this shows, though, is the lukewarmness, if that's the word, that we've had when it comes to the gospel and the things of Christ for a very long time. We've always had R&B artists that would bounce in and out of singing secular music and then singing gospel music. I'm not not surprised that you have so many rappers now taking it as a joke, you know, in a sense that not really seeing the seriousness of it or feeling like they can live any kind of way as long as they say, a, you know, thank you, God, or praise Jesus here and here and there, because it's not really been taken seriously. We haven't had a standard for a very long time. There's been no divide between holiness and righteousness and sin. We haven't said you have to be in or out, cold or hot. We've never had that requirement. And so I think it's it's we've made it easy for rappers to, to do this and for people in general. We had Snoop Dogg who did a song with, with Rance Allen. I love Rance Allen. Something about the name of Jesus is one of my favorite songs. He should have been ridiculed for that though. At You know, to me, this is Snoop Dogg. Tasha Cobb, who sings Break Every Chain, did a song with Nicki Minaj. So we have kind of just let the lines be blurred and not had any type of standard that they feel like they can do this. They can bounce in and out because why not? And if that's where the money is, if they're going to get an extra dollar for it, of course they're going to do it. Wednesday, we moved on and we talked about really, I wouldn't even say we moved on. We just talked about a different angle to the same theme. Racial hatred plus secularism plus absentee fathers equals a black KKK. This is one of my best fire starters ever. Take a listen. Rachel Richardson, 
the now infamous Duke volleyball player who falsely accused BYU fans of racial taunts, has been analogized to Jussie Smollett. The analogy falls short. Richardson is more Carolyn Bryant than Jussie Smollett. Of course, we all remember Smollett in 2019, the Empire actor planned, paid for, and executed a racial hoax in the city of Chicago. Enhanced fortune and fame sparked Smollett to accuse white Trump supporters of assault and attempted kidnapping. In 1955, when Carolyn Bryant unwittingly set in motion the murder of 14-year-old Emmett Till, she had no delusions of fame and fortune. Mississippi's pervasive culture of anti-black racial animus motivated her actions. She accused a young black boy of disrespectful behavior because that was the custom of the time. Nearly seven decades later, America has adopted a different custom and a different racial animus. The culture rewards and abets anti-white racial animus. Racist political elites, primarily members of the Democratic Party, have once again rigged the system to favor a specific group based on skin color. They call it equity. It works just the same as the entitlement that justified Jim Crow laws 70 years ago. When Carolyn Bryant was 21, she lived in a world that told her white people were entitled to special treatment that placed them above blacks, Asians, Latinos, and everyone else. Richardson, at age 19, lives in a cocoon of bigotry that tells her black people are owed special treatment above their peers. Lessa Pamplin, Richardson's godmother, is an unrepentant bigot Pamplin ignited the Duke-BYU racial controversy when she posted tweets accusing BYU students of taunting Richardson with the N-word throughout the entirety of the volleyball match. Pamplin is a Democrat politician running for office in Texas. She was not in attendance at the volleyball match. She repeated the story her goddaughter told her. Pamplin's tweet summoned the racial lynch mob. LeBron James, Stephen A. Smith, Don Staley, Ben Crump, and many others joined the manhunt to lynch BYU and its students. The mob zeroed in on a special needs kid who briefly interacted with Richardson after the game. With no evidence and no investigation, the mob was satisfied with smearing a special needs kid and BYU of mistreating Rachel Richardson. The autistic kid and BYU represent whiteness. We live in a time when it's appropriate and fashionable to assume the worst of white people. The negative assumptions are taught in school under the pretense of critical race theory. Modern American culture programs us to hate white people much the same way the 1950s programmed Carolyn Bryant to hate black people. You can see the impact of the programming far beyond teenage volleyball players. Virtually every day, social media circulates a viral video featuring young black people violently attacking a white person. It's the predictable and natural boomerang to the George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, and Eric Garner videos. Newton's third law applies. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. 
The problem is, as it relates to violent crime videos, the reaction isn't equal, it's disproportionate. White police officers and white people do not violently attack black people at the same rate as black people attacking white people. Over the last 70 years, partially in reaction to the murder of Emmett Till, white people have been programmed to reduce their racial animus toward black people. Democrats won't tell black people that historical fact. They keep black voters loyal by telling them that nothing has changed since 1955. That's why Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, and other Democrats brag about passing anti-lynching laws in 2022. Lynching black people hasn't been a thing in this country for 60 years. Democrats want black people to believe the Proud Boys or Oath Keepers are the new KKK. But there's no evidence. With the prevalence of cell phones, you'd think we'd have videos of Proud Boys burning a cross or the Oath Keepers beating a black man. We don't. All we have is Joe Biden's word that white racists are the greatest threat to our democracy. Their supporting evidence is that on January 6, white men wanted to kidnap and hang Mike Pence, who is a white Republican, and a black police officer shot an unarmed white woman, Ashley Babbitt. Doesn't that sound just like the KKK? Meanwhile, over the same 70-year period, the leftists in charge of America's educational systems have programmed black people to believe White people are responsible for the success and failure of black people, and that white people are inherently anti-black and evil. Even worse, Democrats have convinced black people that religious faith and biblical morality should be abandoned for political power. When you add in the destruction of the nuclear family, you've created a lethal Molotov cocktail of racial destruction. Racial hatred plus secularism plus absentee fathers equals a black KKK. That's what the viral videos depict. Democrats have created a new KKK. I could show you an endless stream of videos that look like this. Watch this bathroom fight. That's at a school. Here's another bathroom fight at a school. Watch this. Here's another video. Three white women in South Philadelphia attacked by a black man. Watch this video. Now. 
There's an endless stream of these videos all over social media, all over. We could go all day just showing you videos of black criminals assaulting white people, Asian people, Latino people, each other. I just saw one of Carnival Cruise, black families attacking each other on a cruise ship. I can on and 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 on. I can review Daryl Brooks driving through a Christmas parade in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Or we could talk about the murder of Ethan Lyman in Akron, Ohio, the young teenage boy killed in the parking lot of LeBron James's high school. Oh, I, I hear the critics now. Oh, <laughs> what about the Buffalo mass shooter who targeted black people? What about Dylan Roof who killed black church congregants? Those events are far more rare than what we're witnessing on a daily basis. The stats are overwhelming. Here's some research on interracial violent crime rates. It's taken from 2018. There are more than 500,000 instances of black on white violent crime and just 60,000 instances of white on black violent crime. We're ignoring a national epidemic. The left preaches racial hatred, secularism, and the destruction of the patriarchy and the nuclear family. No God, no fathers, and racial entitlement produces chaos, anarchy, and violence. At some point, evangelicals, those of us who believe in God, we have to call out and confront the black KKK the same way our forefathers boldly stood against the white KKK, Democrats empowered long ago. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Okay. I just You just heard one of my best fire starters ever. But uh, Thursday, I set a real fire, not with a fire starter. I just started lighting matches and throwing matches at Shannon Sharp and set him on fire. He tried to set Brett Favre on fire. I set Shannon Sharp on fire. <laughs> Take a listen. I talked to people that was in the room when Brett Favre went to the Hall of Fame and nobody mentioned about text messages that he sent to that jet masseuse. Mm. Nobody mentioned anything about the addiction that he suffered from. But yeah. yet, T.O., they brought up everything. Can you imagine if T.O. would have had an incident, incidents like Brett Favre off the field? T.O. still, to this day right now, would not be in the Hall of Fame. Yet they walked right past it like Brett Favre did nothing. That is true. I the, give you that. The... So, Steve, let's start here with this ridiculous <laughs> assertion that if T.O. had sent messages to a masseuse or tried to get some... Uh, extracurricular activity going on with uh, NFL female employees. Oh, my God. You know, if that had happened to T.O., he wouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. That's a joke. 
And, and as it relates to the addiction issue or drug problem that Brett Favre, if, if a drug problem disqualified you from Ugh. the NFL Hall of Fame or the Pro Football Hall of Fame, does, does Lawrence Taylor, d- d- does he make the Hall of Fame? Uh, if, if salacious stories, uh, negative stories, and I love the, the man I'm about to name is one of my favorite NFL players of all time, one of my favorite human beings on the planet. But if what Shannon Sharp is saying is true, how did Ray Lewis get into the Hall of Fame? Did he have the Atlanta uh, incident? Uh-huh. I mean, let, let's cut it out. How, I, 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 when I drive home from this studio every day, I'm gonna move away from the NFL on this one. I'm here in Nashville, Tennessee. Every day that I drive home from the studio, I pass a mural of Kobe Bryant. He's a deity all over the country. He settled rape allegations of a teenage girl. And we can have, oh, it didn't really happen. He just settled and blah, blah, blah. But, but if these off the field activities by athletes disqualified them from the Hall of Fame, and this was all about racial deals, Kobe, Ray Lewis, Lawrence Taylor. I'm, I can, the list is endless. Anyway, your thoughts on just the, how he turned Brett Favre and his welfare thing into a T.O. topic is just ridiculous in my mind. Well, Jason, I guess I have license to say this since I am Asian, but what's that got to do with the price of tea in China? I, I was like, <laughs> wait, wait you, you really veered off there like an Asian driver. But here's the issue, and you're right. If you wanted to make this an ethical and moral guideline for the National Football League and the Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio, you have a broom closet, and then you could have all the bus because it'd be a very short list. But I don't think Shannon realizes, last I checked, T.O. made the Hall of Fame. The only real controversy was, is he a first ballot Hall of Famer? I mean, it was no question in my mind. Now, personally, if I was a voter, and you may disagree, uh, who could make a play? He could. I got my popcorn ready when T.O. played. I would have voted for him in year one. However, you cannot deny that he was an unbelievable distraction at times and very destructive, and that's why he went from a first ballot guy to, I believe, his third year, which, you know, still, he's wearing that gold jacket. The other issue is I don't think Shannon understands Your point was that a lot of players, they're judged by their off-the-field discretions. They are to a certain degree, but look at all those players you named right off the top of your list who are, by the way, black. They're in the Hall of Fame. And in fact, in many instances, they are deified. They are absolute heroes no matter what they have done. And so, Shannon, what is your point here? Yes, did Brett Favre do something disgusting Absolutely. You know what? So have a lot of other people, and guess what? And they're in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Shannon Sharp is in the Hall of Fame. And I would suggest Shannon Sharp perhaps punch his name into Google, punch Uh CBS and why they let him go into Uh Google, punch Baby Mama Drama and Shannon Sharp into Google, and you'll find Mm. that there's... Shannon Sharp has his own off-field issues. He's in the NFL, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He's got a job on national TV 
talking about sports despite his off-field baggage. This guy is, is so stupid. And I don't use that word lightly. He is stupid. I'm talking about a really low IQ. He thinks he's actually arguing on behalf of black people. What world does he live in that he doesn't realize like, hey man, if it wasn't for second and third chances and people overlooking uh, off the field issues, you think Michael Vick would be working for Fox Sports? I love Michael Vick. I argued for uh, the NFL celebrated Andy Reid and the Eagles welcoming Vic back into the league. I'm a Michael Vick guy. And so I'm very consistent on this. I believe in second, third, and fourth chances. Here's Shannon Sharp arguing for some sort of standard where athletes shouldn't be given second, third, and fourth chances when he got one. If Shannon Sharp's standard applied, would Aqib Tlaib have gotten a job at Fox Sports? This guy is an idiot. He doesn't understand. He's operating in a glass house. We can take race out of it. Craig Carton, the show that comes on right before Shannon Sharps, the dude was in federal prison a year or two ago. Mm. What is, this? and I don't use this word lightly, this dude's retarded. And oh, that's why no. he has the job that he has. Well, okay, let me get biblical here. I know I'm not Pastor Bobby Harrington, but let me just quote this. Let who, (laughs) (laughs) he who has not sinned, throw the first football through the glass window or glass house, right? Whatever, I botched that. But you're right. And one of my all-time favorite, and I would say Mount Rushmore, a favorite athlete's period, is Michael Jerome Irvin. And we know his past. And yet he has now been able to really craft a highly successful broadcasting career where he's not just a football announcer, he's a personality. And I would say most people actually are very, very aware of his past. They don't really care, especially when he's self-deprecating and he makes jokes about it. It's great TV. And we all understand nobody is perfect. But here's the other thing with Brett Favre. Isn't he about a decade removed from his last snap in the National Football League? That's another thing. Um, He's been retired for at least eight or nine years. So I don't even understand how you conflate that with the current players or this guy shouldn't be given a second or third chance. Look, Brett Favre with what he did, which I believe is absolutely despicable. Yes, he should be prosecuted to the highest point, the highest degree of the law and the court of public opinion should be against him. But what Shannon Sharp is arguing, I think, is just completely asinine in so many ways, and we can get into this later. But again, in this particular league, the NFL, which stands for not for long, unless you can play, and if you can play and produce, they are very agnostic. You will get third, fourth, and fifth chances. Look at a guy like Pac-Man Jones. I have nothing against Adam Jones. But we know his troubles. But because he could turn and go and play press coverage and he was a great little return guy, uh, Jason, was he discriminated in any way as teams gave him his third, fourth, and fifth chance? No. L- listen, and, and I've talked about this before as it relates to Shannon Al Sharptongue. And, and, and his stupidity is driven 
by when you're living white, but pretending to be black, like Shannon oh. Sharp is. And per, again, and because that is the reality. Shannon Sharp, Steve Kim, and I've told this story before. Shannon Sharp uh -oh. and I used to be friendly with each other. And this is before he turned this Shannon Al Sharp tongue, you know, play the race card. He, this whole racial stick he's got going. I can't stand him because he's inauthentic. He's fake. Uh, but but back when I used to know him, one of his most popular jokes that he told me and any of his teammates. If you ever see a black woman on my elbow, I'm holding her for the police. That's Woo! Shannon Sharp. I've told that story before. That's who Shannon Sharp is. And when you're that kind of fake and you go on TV and pretend like you're the blackest man on TV and you do all that man tan and eat and sleep, bamboozle talk on TV, because that's who Shannon is. He's man tanner eating sleep from the movie Bamboozle. This is what you sound like when you're living white and pretending to be black. Let's play the next clip when he starts talking about EBT cards and how mm. the police go after or how law enforcement goes after black and brown people. This is what we know. Scale when black and brown people do do fraud the government, they do it. They hell bent. Mm -hmm. You get an EBT card and you get wicked, you get stuff like that, boy, they move heaven and earth to try to put you in jail for 400 little measly dollars. Fact. Now this man done took a million dollars. Somebody got three million. Somebody got 400,000. Yep. And they sitting around like, well, well, you know, it, it happened and we'll see. And they're going to get more money and do it all over again. Uh-oh. So when you start talking about, well, this is what happened with black and brown people when they get EBT cards and when the person sitting across from you is Skip Bayless. And fact, that's two white people going back and forth. One of them's got real dark skin, but it's two white people going back and forth that don't know nothing about black people. Because unfortunately, I know a lot about EBT cards and how they're handled, how they're used in the inner city. Back, back when, uh, when, when I was young and poor and lived with my father, and back when my father owned bars in the inner city, the trade and the sell of food stamps through the roof. Everybody in the, everybody in the hood did it. Every, you, you could take $20 and go buy you $100 worth of food stamps. In 1984, that's how we ate, me and my father, in that 400 square foot apartment we lived in. That's how we ate, him buying food stamps in the hood from people, $20 gets you $100 worth of food stamps. There wasn't federal law enforcement hunting anybody down. It's not going on. But when you live white and talk black, you don't know these things. And so you get on national TV and start talking about, oh, this is what the federal government gonna do if they find out ain't black and brown people got anything to do, $400 worth of EBT, and they lock you up. The hell they do. I lived it, I've seen it, I know it. I got family members right now with EBT. Ain't nobody in law enforcement hunting them down. But when you live white and talk black, you sound like an idiot. If so in other words, you don't have to add anything to that if you want. No, I do. I have a, this, that's my main point. Um, the fact that Mr. Bayless said fact, just co-signing on it, he's now sent Bayless because he knows that's not true, but he understands as a white guy, he has to stand down 
And he simply does not have the guts or the wherewithal to say, ah, let me push back. Here's a phrase that I love. If it ain't legal for me, it ain't legal for you. Uh, bottom line is this. I don't care if it's the fraud from a CEO of a Fortune 500 company or the lowest levels of our society. Fraud is fraud. And it, it gets to this point that I want to make about what Shannon Swirl was saying, that the reality is he almost wants to excuse a certain amount of crime or illegal activities from a group of people based on where they are and who they are. I have a saying, and this is going to ruffle some feathers, but I believe it to be 100% true. You show me the standards and expectations of that you have of an individual or a group of people, that's what you think of them. That simple. So maybe in his own mind, that's what Shannon thinks of him. Because, you know, the bottom line is a lot of people have high expectations from me because I have high expectations for myself. But the bottom line is I expect myself to be, for the most part, a good person that's going to live by the letter of the law. Again, the standards and expectations that you have of somebody is what you really think of them, because there's never been a great person that you had low expectations for. So, Shannon, what do you really expect from those people and what do you really think of them? Friday, we reviewed The Woman King, Viola Davis's movie about some fantasy group of female Amazon warriors. They're not fantasy, it's supposed to be reality, but the movie's a fantasy. It's a joke. It emasculates man and the black man in particular. Talked about it with Shamika Michelle and Delano, but check out this fire starter. Hollywood has abandoned new ideas in favor of prequels that repackage and reinforce China-approved themes. It's a technique employed by ministers and coaches Effective leaders find new and compelling ways to say the same thing day after day. A Christian minister uses the Bible's 66 books and 31,000 verses to convey a simple message. We need Jesus. Right now, Hollywood is hyper-focused on a simple message selling a different savior, woman. The Viola Davis fronted The Woman King purports to be a based on true events drama about a group of amazing female warriors in Africa. The truth is, The Woman King is the first prequel to the Black Panther superhero fantasy. Panther sold its woman is savior message subtly. The blockbuster let unsuspecting moviegoers leave theaters believing T'Challa was the hero. The reality is T'Challa did exactly what his mother, sister, and a group of amazing female warriors told him to do. T'Challa was a robot, a system quarterback programmed by a female coaching staff. The prequel, The Woman King, is far less subtle. 57-year-old Viola Davis is Dahomey Africa's Black Panther. After watching the movie Thursday, I wanted to hashtag Black Grandma Magic. Why not call it the Meemaw King? That's the point. The matriarch is the ruler of the patriarch. General Naneska, the fictional leader Davis played, is an 1823 version of 52-year-old Queen Latifah's The Equalizer. General Naneska 
is wiser, braver, and more charismatic than Dahomey's King Gazos, played by 30-year-old actor John Boyega. Casting Davis opposite Boyega is not an accident. It's a message that young black men should submit to and serve their mothers. It's a wildly popular message. The same message was in The Black Panther, a movie that grossed more than $1.3 billion worldwide. That's why I consider The Woman King a prequel. Hollywood is hoping to ride the emasculated black man narrative to box office glory. It worked in The Black Panther. The Meemaw King is doubling down on the narrative. King Gezo's top servant is a gay man who makes RuPaul look masculine. General Naniska and her troops outsmart and trounce their male rivals. Factual history tells a much different story than the fantasy spun in The Woman King. In the movie, General Naniska convinces King Gezos to abandon the slave trade and the female warriors thwart the white colonizers. It's all fantasy. The French routed the Amazon warriors and the British forced Dahomey to give up the slave trade in the 1850s. History isn't the point of the woman king. Message is. The movie is on message. Men are evil. Men raped and tortured Naniska when she was young. The father of teenage warrior Nawi gave her away to the king when she rejected an older abusive husband. The climactic point of the movie is that women should rule. After an all-female post-war circle twerk, King Gesos named Aniska a king to rule alongside him. Hollywood is preaching that message over and over and over again. A month ago, HBO launched its Game of Thrones prequel, House of the Dragon. The dragon pretends to be the backstory of the Targaryen family. It's really the backstory of Arya Stark, the female child who, who would grow up to slay the wicked Night King in Game of Thrones. Arya wanted to be a boy and go off to war. The patriarchy wouldn't allow it. Rhaenyra Targaryen, the star of the House of the Dragon, wants to be a boy and go off and fight in wars. The patriarchy won't allow it. The point is, girls would be boys if not for sexism, and sexism is ruining the world. The truth is, the world needs better men, not women pretending to be men. All art emanating from Hollywood has a secular, anti-male theme. It rejects a Christian worldview. The Woman King is a farce. It's satanic propaganda promoting the worship of women. It's not remotely subtle in its messaging. In the post-movie credits, during an extra scene, the Amazon warrior Amenza shouts out Brianna Taylor in a ritual celebrating warriors killed in 1823. Can't you see? Breonna Taylor, the woman killed in a shootout with Louisville police, is an extension of the African warriors who captured and sold her ancestors into slavery? Yeah, the people who sold black people into slavery are the real heroes. Anyone who disagrees is misogynist and a racist. Fantastic week of shows. Go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Hit that subscribe. Make sure you're telling your friends about this great show. We need to build the fearless army. I need my fearless soldiers out there promoting the fearless army. 
All right, hit the subscribe, hit the like buttons, join the Fearless Army, get your Fearless Army swag. Do it all. Enjoy your weekend. I'm at Kings Island riding roller coasters as you listen to this. <laughs>